A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. Jesus approached, grasped her hand, and helped her up. Then the fever left her, and she waited on them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus told them, Let us go on to the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. For this purpose I have come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So when we do the introductions to these readings, we'd never give you the chapter and verse, right? So you're wondering where in this, where in the ministry of Jesus this particular episode fits. And it's right at the very beginning. This is the first chapter of the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, the very first healing, what am I doing? Children's homily. Thank you. Will the children come up for a homily? (laughs) That's right. Where would I be without her, you know? I wouldn't remember much, I'll tell you that. Come on up. Let's have a children's homily. That's why the the kneeler's missing, right? Hi, come on. I've got something here. What is this? What does that sound like? Hello, Fred. Press the green call button to make a call. Oh, it's a phone. It's a phone, all right? Let's see. Oh, I see that I can call dad or mom or grandpa or grandma or a friend. Let's try grandpa. Let's call grandpa. Press the green call button to call. Oh, I see it's going to call grandpa. Now it's calling Grandpa. Is that cool? Oh, we're used to that, aren't we? The message after the beep thing. So, who else? Who else would we like? Can we we can call Dad, Mom, Grandpa, Grandma, or a friend. Who else do you think we might want to call? Who would like to call God this morning? Would you like to call God this morning? He's not on the list, so I don't know how that works. I don't know. It's a, I don't even know how to work this phone. This is my, my grandson's telephone. But it's kind of cute and it's kind of fun. And actually, you can't call God on this phone, can you? So how do we, if we want to call God, how do we call God? Is there a way to call God? Do you know? I think you know. What, what is the, how can we call God? We press zero button. That's right. right. And then we know. How do we call God? Go ahead and say it. We pray, don't we? 
That's how we talk to God as we pray. Prayer is very important. You know, God is always with us. Jesus, who is God, promised and said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So for wherever we go, Jesus is always with us. God is always with us. But sometimes we forget about that, don't we? Now, in today's gospel, did you notice that Jesus wanted to talk to his Father, who is God? And so he went off to be by himself so he and his Father could have a private conversation and Jesus could talk about what he, wanted, what he was supposed to be doing. You know, Jesus had just begun his ministry and there was lots of things that he could do. And everybody wanted him to come back to the synagogue he had preached in just the day before and heal lots more sick people and, do, and teach more and preach more. But when Jesus prayed, he decided, we need to go. We need to go to other places because this is the purpose. His purpose was to move, to go to lots of places and tell people about his Father who is God. So when Jesus wanted to talk to his Father, he had to go pray. And so do we. And that's how we talk to God. All right? All right, God bless you guys. Thanks for coming up. And, th and be sure you thank Cheryl on the way up for reminding me to do this. Yeah, some, you know, sometimes you get old and the memory issues just kind of get embarrassing, don't they? I tried. I was telling someone today that I, 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 you know, I can't brush my teeth without a road map to remind me how to do it. So, um, All right, so as I began... This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so in the Gospel of Mark, the very first thing Jesus does in his ministry goes to his, his uh, synagogue in Capernaum, which was actually a pretty big city. It was uh, uh, not like today's big cities, but you know, for, the, for the time period, it was a pretty big town. Uh, fishing industry was the big industry. And uh, they had a nice big synagogue there. And there's where Jesus, for the first time, begins to preach and to teach and his first miracle is to drive out a demon. And everybody's going, wow, what is this? Jesus speaks with such authority and he can even command the demons and they obey him. And so that's the very first miracle. And the second miracle in Jesus' ministry, recorded in the Gospel of Mark, is the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He goes to Simon Peter's house. Simon, Simon had a nice house, by the way, in Capernaum. And right next to his house was attached a... Uh, uh, a fish um, processing plant. So Simon Peter had lots of, apparently had lots of boats. He caught a lot of fish in his own processing plant. And so they went to his house and there his mother-in-law was, was ill and Jesus heals his mother-in-law. And the whole town shows up. They all want to hear more from Jesus. They all have diseases they want to have healed. They have uh, demons they want cast out. Jesus takes care of all of them. And then Jesus goes out to pray, goes into a solitary place where he can be alone with his Father, and he prays. And if you ever wondered, what was this like when Jesus would go out by himself to pray? Only on one occasion did Jesus bring any of his disciples with him when he went out to pray. And that was on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I think that episode of the Transfiguration is probably very similar to Jesus' experience in his normal prayer life. That, that he'd be conversing with God his Father, the angels and the saints would come and minister to him and give him guidance and they'd discuss 
what Jesus is to do next. And then after this episode of Jesus praying, he decides, I can't stay here. You know, I've got a good crowd here that could, you know, build a big mega church and things could go well here, but God's called me to preach to everybody, to share throughout the land of Galilee and Judah and even outside of Israel, up in, in modern-day Lebanon and in Syria, and share who God is. See, that's the most important thing we get from Jesus' teaching is to understand who God is. Because as we read the Old Testament, we realize there's perhaps a lot of confusion. You know, God can get pretty mean. I think in last week's, was it last Wednesday's lesson? Was, uh, yeah, it was last Wednesday if you came to Mass. And uh, David commits a sin because he counts, he does a census, he counts people, and so God kills 70,000 innocent people. And, and David is... Um, uh, and David gets off scot-free, you know. Well, obviously there's some confusion. What is going on here? And to understand who God truly is, we have to look at the perfect revelation of God, who is Jesus. And Jesus explains to us who God is. And beginning in this, this uh, from this day on, Jesus sets up a kind of a pattern of ministry where he goes to a town, he preaches and teaches in the synagogue, he heals the sick, he drives out demons, he goes back to his father in prayer, and he moves on. This has becomes the pattern for the first two years of Jesus' ministry. In the third year of Jesus' ministry, it changes a little bit uh, because he begins preparing his disciples for his passion, resurrection, and ultimately the establishment of his church. And so his ministry becomes more teaching in parables and uh, sending the apostles out uh, to, on their own mission journeys. And so there's a shift in that third year as Jesus prepares for his passion. But this is his typical pattern. This is his spiritual discipline for these first two years. Now, I mention this basically because what I'd really like to talk about this morning, and I'll try to be brief because I want to have time to do the prayer of St. Blaise for people, um, as we prepare for Lent. You know, Lent's going to be here in just 10 days. Yeah, 10 days. Wow, it's, it's really upon us. And as we reflect upon this life, a life of Jesus and his own spiritual discipline, his prayer life, his ministry... Um, to make some plans of what we desire to do in our own spiritual discipline as Lent is coming upon us. Because that's always the time of the year when we, we try to, 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 you know, work on our spiritual disciplines and, and develop a little bit more, uh, come a little closer to God. And, of course, the first thing to discuss really is prayer. Jesus is praying. If the Son of God needed to pray, we probably need to pray as well. And, you know, when we come to prayer, a lot of times we misunderstand prayer. I think it's because the actually English word prayer, you know, uh, means to ask. And so a lot of times when we come to prayer, we have our list of what we want God to do for us. And it's like we wake up in the morning and say, good morning, God, this is what I need from you today. As if God is some kind of personal assistant, right? 
That's what we want. We want God to do all the things we need, we want from him or need from him, and that becomes our prayer life. And that really is sad because we will not grow spiritually treating God that way. If we want to grow spiritually, I think we need to, to look at how Jesus would teach us to pray. And we open our prayer really with an acclamation of God's holiness, of his goodness, praise God for who he is, reflect in thanksgiving for the things God has done for us. When you read the Psalter, you, you hear so many times in the Psalms how uh, it opens with, oh, you know, God, you delivered us from Egypt, you sustained us through the desert, you drove out our enemies before us, you gave us the land. There's this, this constant uh, litany of thanksgiving for all the things God has done before you, you let God know what you want him to do next. But we open our prayer with praise and thanksgiving. Jesus taught us to open our prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you know that phrase, hallowed be thy name, it's how it comes to us in the Lord's Prayer. If, you know, in ancient Hebrew, if you wanted to say praise the Lord, what you would always say is Baruch Hashem, bless the name. Because they did not refer to God by name, they just referred to God as the name. The name that God gave to Moses, I am. So wherever we are, whatever we do, we are constantly experiencing God as I am. Not as St. Thomas Aquinas reflects on that and says, God is not a being. God is not a supreme being. He is the true act of to be. He is all being. I am. So wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we are, if we, our minds are, are properly ordered, we are experiencing God in some way. So we open our prayer blessing God's name. And then, you notice in the Lord's Prayer, the next thing we do is make an act of submission. Very important in our prayer lives to make that act of submission. We're not, God is not our personal assistant. He is not our servant. We are his servants. So we come to prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we pray for the, for the world, really. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And that's a point of intercession where we pray for others all over the world. We, of course, we always like to pray for our families, for our friends, for our parish community, but we pray your kingdom come, your will be done in earth, in all, as it is in heaven. And then Jesus says, okay, let me know what you need. <laughs> Give us today our daily bread. Share our needs to the Lord. He knows, and you know, Jesus says, don't make a big deal out of it because your father knows your needs before you ask him. But still, as a mark of submission, to submit, to give our needs to the Lord. You know, our daily bread, simple needs. What do we really need today? And then to pray for forgiveness, forgive us our sins. As we forgive others, right? Our desire for forgiveness must be linked to our willingness to forgive. 
and then to pray for safety and deliverance. Deliver us, for, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In this, in the great, and the Our Father, Jesus gives us a model for prayer life that we can reflect on this coming Lent. When we go to prayer and we pray the Our Father, which I know all of us do every day, but to re take time to pause, pray it slowly and contemplatively, to pray in, in the way that Jesus taught us. Spend time in prayer as we move into the, our Lenten discipline. And a second discipline that I encourage everyone to think of this Lent is spiritual reading. Why is spiritual reading so important? Because the one sin that all of us will struggle with every day for our entire lives is the temptation of the serpent in the garden. You shall be as gods. And if we spend our entire spiritual life and discipline based upon our opinions, you know, if the center of our, of our prayer life is what we believe, what our opinion, what we think God should do, then we are not moving out of, we, we, we placed ourselves in the center. We want to place God in the center, and so to bring into our lives the writings of the saints. Pope Francis has written many books, all of which are, are spiritual jewels. Um, as we begin to bring a, a broader perspective of the body of Christ into our spiritual life, then we can learn to grow and to expand our understanding. One of my mentors years ago, I was a, I was a, a young man in my teens, and his name was Norman Grubb. He was a, a great evangelist at the time. And he said, the one thing you should pray for every day is the ability to see the world from God's perspective. Because, you know, the only way we can see the world is with ourselves in the center. Did you ever notice that? Wherever you go, wherever you look, even if you get the telescope, you're looking out at the stars, you're still in the center of your universe. But if we can learn by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to see the world from God's perspective, then we can get ourselves out of the center and see God in the center. So spiritual reading, um, and there are so many good books by the saints, uh, the Dialogues of St. Catherine of Siena, um, the uh, Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, Diary of a Soul by St. Therese de Lisieux. There are so many beautiful, beautiful readings of the saints that we can choose one. I'll tell you what I'm reading, and it's not by a saint, all right? <laughs> what I'm reading this year is a book by a, a, a Protestant pastor, actually. His name is John Burke. And he wrote a book called Imagine the God of Heaven. Now, John Burke was a, an engineer and an agnostic. He you know, wasn't really too convinced that there was a God. He was, was you know, how engineers think, right? You know, it's got to be down to numbers. You know, you've got to be able to establish and prove something. You've got to know exactly what's going to happen to a bridge before you build it. So it always comes down to numbers. And, uh, but he had a friend who had a near-death experience. He was die. He died on uh, uh, on you know. Uh, he was in the hospital. I think he had a heart attack. He died for a few moments. Was restored. But in those few moments that he was clinically dead, he had an experience of God. And this 
piqued his interest, and so he began reading and researching and communicating with different people who had had near-death experiences. And actually, he, had, uh, he eventually wound up conversing with over a thousand people who had had near-death experiences. And what he discovered was they're all saying the same thing. Whether they were Christians or Jews or Buddhists or Hindus or, or Muslims, they had this near-death experience and guess who they met? Many of them said specifically they met Jesus. All of them say they met a God of light and of love, which is exactly how the scriptures describe our God. And many of them, even Muslims, met Jesus and had a conversion. In fact, um, recently on a Thursday night, I talked about Sadiq, who was a Muslim imam, you know, and he had an experience of Jesus and a near-death experience. He became a priest. So there, is a, there was a uniformity of this experience which led John Burke to understand a few things from those. And one of them is, yes, there is a God. He is a God of light and love. His mercy is expressed in the person of Jesus. But there's also a hell. Many people had many near-death experiences, experienced the fear, actually got to peer into hell. And with the warning to change their lives, or this is where they could wind up. And the hell is reserved for all those who reject God's mercy. It's not that God condemns people to hell, but people choose to reject God's mercy and experience hell because of it. And that's true in this life as well as in the next, isn't it? So spiritual reading. Find something that... that uh, will guide you through Lent in spiritual reading. And the third area of our spiritual discipline as we move towards Lent is service. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of my brothers, you do for me. If you want to do something with Jesus, find someone who is in need and care for them. And that's not just physical, financial needs, also spiritual needs. Pray, let, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you to someone with whom you can share some spiritual inspiration and guidance. And then, of course, there's always the different ways we have in the church of caring for people's material needs. The Knights of Columbus has great uh, activities they do to care uh, for those who are in need. So you men, you can join up the Knights of Columbus, and I can actually transfer my membership from a parish in Kansas City to this one. I've been needing to do that for a long time. Um, to be involved in caring for those in need. Is there a ladies' auxiliary? Altar and rosary? And it, does that, is that involved in, in caring for the needs of others? Needs of the church, that's true, and that's good. Needs of the church is an important, important thing. Or maybe we, uh, you know, anyway, ladies pray about some way that, that you can help out in a ministry to aid and assist others. If we're going to grow in Christ, we must take our focus off of ourselves and on to others. And that's something Jesus teaches us. So, briefly, as we enter towards Lent and we, want to and we desire to grow closer to Jesus, let us focus on ways that we can enhance our own spiritual disciplines to grow in Christ through prayer, through spiritual reading, 
and through service to others. Because just as Jesus gives us an example where his life was not just haphazard, he had a plan, he had a purpose, he followed a pattern that we see again and again through the scriptures. Let our spiritual life not just be, you know, good morning God, this is what I want from you today. But let us grow in Christ and become more close to be able to more closely follow Jesus in this life as we move forward.